and my sermon series on Not So Superheroes, as Linda said. And we come today to the book of Esther. Now, just in case anyone's wondering, I haven't done a little, little takeover bid and skipped the reading. We are coming to the reading a little bit later on. But because the book of Esther is not terribly familiar, I thought it would make sense for me to start by setting the scene first, and then we will have our Bible reading. So during this series, we are focusing on different characters from the Bible who are normal, flawed human beings, and yet who are used by God in some amazing ways. So far over the series, we've taken a look at the lives of Moses, Gideon and Ruth. And today, as I say, we come to Esther. Now, Esther is one of only two women in the Bible who have the privilege of having a Bible book named after them. Anyone name the other? Ruth, brilliant. Yeah, we heard about Ruth last week. So, you know, prizes, but yeah, well done. Esther is one of those tiny, tiny little books, though, that's tucked away in the middle of the Old Testament. And I bet a lot of us are not terribly familiar with it. I know I wasn't, at least not until last term, when I was helping with one of the children's groups, and they were doing Esther as their series last term. So I got a little bit of a head start. I also got a wonderful cartoon book that told the story of Esther in cartoons. Ask me later, because there were some classic comedy moments in there. It was brilliant. My iPad has skipped to the end. That's not good. I'm not preaching that short a sermon. Sorry, Barbara. So just to set some context for the story before we dive into our reading. The story of Esther is set around 460 BC. And the Jewish people at this time are in exile in Babylon. And this is before groups started to return to Jerusalem under the leadership of Ezra and of Nehemiah. But since they've been there, Babylon has been taken over by the Persians. And the first central player in our story is Xerxes, who was the king of Persia. Now, at the start of our story, King Xerxes is married to Queen Vashti. But he deposes her as queen because for the the simple crime that she refused to come when he called her. He said, come and see me. She said, no, right, you're not queen anymore. Off you go. I mean, you know, what can you say? So Xerxes' staff then goes searching all around the kingdom, looking for beautiful young girls who can come and live in the, pari- in the palace and take turns to appear before the king on probation for him to select one of them as queen. Esther is a Jewish girl. She's one of the exiles, and she was under the protection of her cousin Mordecai. Remember that name. He's going to be an important player later. So Esther is brought in to audition for the role of queen. She doesn't tell anyone that she's Jewish, but she comes and she takes her turn with King Xerxes, and she wins his favor, and he makes her the new queen. Meanwhile, we have a baddie in our story. Everyone needs a good baddie in a, in a story. And this is Haman, who was Xerxes' second in command. And he began to plot to destroy the Jewish people. Because he'd taken against Mordecai, Mordecai refused to give Haman the respect he demanded. So Haman persuaded Xerxes to issue a decree to destroy the Jewish people. 
And this decree is sent out as law and sent all around the kingdom as an edict signed with the king's seal. And now we come to our reading, which is the key turning point in Esther's story. Thank you, Chris. Well, we've now reached chapter four in Esther. And in this chapter, which you can find on page 503 in the Church Bible, if you have one with you, in this chapter, Mordecai persuades Esther to help with the predicament that he and the Jews find themselves in. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he only went as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in, ash, in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and male attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of the sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, to attend, assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So, Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain it to her, and he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law. They shall be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called in to see the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you are alone of all the Jews, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, 
gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Chris. Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. That's Mordecai's challenge to Esther. She is the one in the right place at the right time who might just be able to save her people. But Esther feels helpless. She knows she'll be killed if she approaches the king without permission. What can she do? Well, she turns to God. Now, interestingly, God is never mentioned by name in the book of Esther. But we see his fingerprints all over the story. Esther fasts and prays and gets her supporters to to do the same. And then, as we continue with the story, she goes to the king to plead for her people, knowing that she may be put to death. The king allows Esther to approach, but all she actually asks him right then is that King Xerxes and Haman would both come to a banquet with her that evening. Feels like a bit of a cliffhanger, doesn't it? Well, maybe. Xerxes and Haman turn up, enjoy the food and wine, and the king again asks Esther to present her request. You'd think she'd mention the threat to the people now, right? Well, actually, no. She issues another invitation to another banquet the next evening. Maybe she's stalling for time. Maybe she knows that she needs to wine and dine the king to prepare him before she pleads for the lives of her people. But that evening, King Xerxes can't sleep. He orders the history books of his reign to be brought to him. I mean, like bedtime reading, good cure for insomnia. And he happens to stumble across the record of an episode he'd forgotten about, when Esther's cousin Mordecai had saved the king's life by alerting him to a plot against him. And he realized that Mordecai had never received any sort of recognition for this. And so the king asked Haman, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? This is my favorite moment of the whole book because it's a delightful comedy. Haman thinks that he must be the subject of that question. He must be the one the king wants to honor. So he comes up with a wonderful plan involving being paraded through the streets, dressed in a royal robe, sitting on a royal horse, only to then be told, go and do exactly that for Mordecai. Haman is humiliated and he is devastated. But the time has come for him to go with the king to Esther's second banquet. Again, King Xerxes asks Esther to present her request. And now she does plead for the lives of her people, explaining that Haman has issued a decree to annihilate them. The king takes Esther's side and supports her plea. Haman is put to death. Mordecai is appointed to the position that Haman had held as second in command. And a decree is issued to protect 
the lives of the Jewish people. The Jews triumph over their enemies and the people are saved. And the book ends with much celebration and the establishment of the Jewish feast of Purim to remember these events in the Jewish calendar forever. So that is the story of Esther. But as we reflect on this story now, how might God want to speak to us through this not-so-superhero today? Well, we recognise that Esther felt helpless and powerless as she faced the prospect of going to the king to plead for the lives of her people. Esther herself had no power to change anything. It was only the king had that power. And it was an impossible situation for her. She knew she faced death in approaching the king, but if she didn't do something, then she and her people would all die. And I wonder whether, for us, there might ever be times in our lives when we feel we are in situations where we're out of our depth, powerless to make a change, where we feel helpless and unsure what, if any, difference we might be able to make. Maybe some of us remember feeling like that during the COVID pandemic. And perhaps some of us now feel equally helpless in the face of rising fuel prices and the rising cost of living. Maybe some of us are facing medical diagnoses or the burden of caring for a loved one, which leave us struggling to cope and unsure how we will keep going from day to day. Perhaps there are others who are facing tough conversations with a friend, a family member or a work colleague that you feel ill-equipped to handle and where you feel powerless to make a difference. Well, Esther responded to the situation she faced in two ways. First, she prayed and fasted together with those around her. And second, she took bold and courageous action. She did go into the king's presence, even knowing it might cost her her life. And I think those two responses from Esther can encourage us, too, to consider how we might respond when we face those situations that make us feel powerless and helpless. First, we, too, can set time aside to pray before even considering practical action. For some of us, maybe a bit like me, if you're get-up-and-goers, it can be quite hard to consciously stop and build in that pause, that time for prayer. But it is so vital to spend that time with God and turn our gaze back to him. A good place to start might be to pray through Psalm 46. It begins with the reminder, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. The psalm goes on to remind us that the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress and finishes with the call to be still and know that I am God. I know for a lot of us, we found that psalm was a really helpful way to structure our prayers at the start of the COVID pandemic. And it's one that can be a rock to keep coming back to whenever we face challenging situations of any kind. Esther did not only pray, though. She also fasted. 
And this is something we don't really talk about so much in today's world, even at church. I can't remember preaching about fasting before. I can't remember anyone else talking about it much either. Because in today's world, we're surrounded by a culture that expects our every want, need and desire to be satisfied immediately because I'm worth it. Now, a traditional sort of fast means that you abstain from food for one or more meals. And that might not be possible for everyone. If you've got any sort of health condition, it's really important to take advice from the doctor before even considering going down that route. But there are other ways that we can explore the spiritual discipline of fasting and seek to find out whether that's something that for us, it could help us to draw closer to God, like it did for Esther. Why not consider fasting from something like meat or caffeine or alcohol or sugar or chocolate for a day or even a bit longer? Or perhaps for some of us, myself included, it might help us to focus on God by fasting from our phones or from technology or media or anything like that for a period of time. I personally really value quiet days and short retreats where I can just get away from the distractions and the busyness of daily life and spend time with God, real time in silence and in solitude. Those who were in church several years ago might remember we did a series going through a book called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And it's still a great one to read if you want to explore not only the spiritual discipline of fasting, but also other ways that we can be intentional about drawing near to God and deepening our relationship with him. But Esther didn't stop there. She prayed and she fasted with her friends. She took time to do that. But then she took action. She went into the presence of the king, knowing it might cost her her life. And the sort of action we might be asked to take in our own situations will look different. But it might perhaps involve daring to speak out against corruption, campaigning for justice for those in need, being persistent in prayer for a particular situation of crisis, speaking God's truth, even when that's hard or unpopular, or simply saying no when others place unreasonable demands on us. And in other sorts of situations, courageous action may simply look like keep on putting one foot in front of the other to keep on keeping on from one day to the next in whatever you're going through. I wonder if you've ever felt God nudging you to take action in a particular way that isn't something you would naturally expect to have been doing at that particular moment. It could be something huge, like an example for me would be like when I first sensed God nudging me to start talk to people about the possibility of ordination. Or it could be something much smaller. So I've had days when I've just felt prompted by God to pick up the phone and call a particular friend or drop an email to someone and let them know I'm praying for them. And in almost every one of those occasions, it's turned out to be one of those God moments where that person just really needed to hear from someone right then. And it was that God had nudged me to take the right action at the right time. And maybe that's happened to you as well. But if not, and you'd like to just explore that, then why not begin each day by praying for God to lay on your heart 
some small way that he wants you to step out in faith and take a small action to serve him and others today. Let's just come back to those words that Mordecai spoke to Esther in the middle of our story. Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. God had put Esther as the right person in the right place at the right time to make a difference. God's fingerprints are all over this story, even though he's not mentioned by name. God is working his purposes out through Esther. The only thing asked of her is to play her part, to remain focused on God, and to take action when needed. The rest is up to God. He uses Esther, despite her powerlessness, despite her human weaknesses, to do something amazing and save God's people from annihilation. Esther really is a not-so-superhero. But as we finish, let's hear those words again personally for ourselves. Who knows but that you have come to your position, wherever that is, whatever that involves, for such a time as this. How might God want to work through you today? Where might you be the right person in the right place at the right time to make a difference with God working in and through you? Will you, like Esther, play your part in God's big story by drawing close to God in prayer and then stepping out courageously as he calls? And I pray that as we do so, we may see God's fingerprints all over our lives and the lives of those around us. Amen.